my name is Micah Booz. Um, last name's Booz, and that's what I normally go by or what folks call me. Uh, um, and I'm a wildland firefighter uh, for the government, uh, which will keep nameless. And how would you describe the fire season in Alaska? Uh, this year was rather slow and uneventful, which is really good. Um, last year, uh, compared to this year, is is night and day. Uh, we had, I think, just over 181,000 acres burned this year in Alaska. And compared to last year, it was 2.6 million acres. And we were just kind of winding down uh, at this time, and uh, or at least things were closing out. So it's it's this year was a, a lot sleepier, which is a lot better. Uh, we we still didn't get as much precipitation as you know average, but um, I think I think last year was 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 so big that everyone was happy with nothing going on this year for sure. You know, this might be my own ignorance, but what would account for less fires this year it's a good question um i think it's this is mostly opinion i would say but i think uh it comes down to a a good few variables and factors but um you know one is precip we did get a little more precip than last year and last year we had i think we went from june 2nd or 3rd to you know late august if not september before we had a real rain uh, which is very very abnormal for alaska um, but you know, it, I think most of our starts last year were from lightning. Uh, we do get human starts, but unlike the United States or the lower 48, rather, uh, a lot of our starts are coming from lightning, uh, in the interior. Um, and so we do get the human starts, of course, but it's, it's not quite in the capacity that the, the lower 48 gets it. So, you know, maybe it's mindfulness out of the human starts, uh, human beings, you know, being mindful in their campgrounds or whether burning debris or whatever in their backyard. Uh, We did have a burn ban this year, um, so maybe that helped as well. And uh, it was a little more restrictive than in the past, uh, at least in my area on the Kenai Peninsula. Uh, But, you know, it's to me, it's the weather. Uh, We talk about wildfires a lot and we we throw a lot of stuff at wildfires to quote unquote stop them or put them out. But in reality, it's no different to me in my mind. It sometimes becomes laughable in my job, at least the whole philosophical concept of fighting wildfire, quote unquote, because it's, it's a natural, I wouldn't say disaster, but a natural process, just like hurricanes or tornadoes or flooding. I mean, you can do things to mitigate it, you know, fuels projects and thinning out beetle killed, uh, and any other stuff that, that promotes fire in that area, you can mitigate some of that. But when all said and done, if, if mother nature wants to throw a, a Zeus lightning bolt down on a tree, mm-hmm. it's going to happen and you're not going to stop that. So, um, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's just weather patterns for sure. Um, and, uh, mindful, more mindful folks with a little more restriction. So you said that it's a, a natural process and I guess where my mind goes from that is, would you say that the purpose of your job at that point is to kind of divert that fire from uh, like human living? Yeah, I think that's the probably one of the biggest parts of our job um, is to, I, I think you said it well, divert and protect are two big, big words. Um, you know, in, in most wildland fire folks, 
our job is not to put out a house fire. Our job is to stop it before it gets to the house. So if a house is involved and by involved, I mean on fire, we're not trained to do that. We don't have the equipment, the CBAs or the, uh, the oxygen tanks and all that. We don't, we don't carry that stuff. That's, that's outside of our wheelhouse. And so our job is to divert. Our job is to push it in another direction or throw dirt on it or, you know, dig a, dig a line or put a dozer line way out in front and then reinforce it with, you know, a, an air tanker putting retardant line in. And that saves, you know, grandma and grandpa's house. Uh, and it pushes it around the corner, you know, and to openness or whatever. And in Alaska, it's very unique um, with all that said, because we don't have the what's called urban interface in my line of work. We don't have all that well, we do have that, but we don't have it in the in the in the huge capacity like California and and the Northwest and certain areas in Colorado. Um, so we don't have to deal with the huge what we call wildland urban interface. But uh, the unique thing about Alaska is we have um, you know historical cabins or even just backwoods cabins, people's second properties, hunting cabins, people that want to be left alone out in the middle of nowhere. We have all these unique situations, um, and even native. Um, native what we call native allotments um which would be similar to the bia style in the lower 48 but very important lands that need to be protected for whatever reason that's way above my pay grade but you know so that's it's a very unique situation we'll go into the woods and protect one cabin and basically all you're doing and this is why it's different than the lower 48 because you get inserted either via helicopter you have the smoke jumpers um, jumping in um, to, to get into these fires or you get boated in to, to these cabins remotely. And your job is just to thin out the trees around it, start dropping all the bad stuff by d dropping trees, quote unquote, the dead trees or snags. You drop all this stuff around and you make this perimeter and you just start mowing around basically. And then you set up sprinklers all over the place and then you kind of hunker in place or you leave and come back after the fire. But if you're hunkering in place, it's just make sure nothing happens and then uh, your job is done there and the fire just goes past it and now that place has black all around it uh, which would be protected from the next fire so it's it's a unique way of doing fire uh, specifically here in Alaska. So when you do that when you take these precautionary measures you guys are going there and setting up these uh, dozer lines or retardant line down and then you guys are out, right? Like you guys aren't there when the fire comes. Um, boy, it's, it's 50, 50. It just, it's situational dependent. I mean, in Alaska with, with those remote cabins, um, you may have three or four days out in front of the fire, you know, it's coming. You may be able to get in there and get out sometimes. Like I said, if it's, if you got a real good safe area, then you'll stay in the cabin uh, or around it or something. But, um, typically, you know, in the lower 48, if they're doing, if we're doing what's called structure protection, um, let's say you have an engine and, you know, one hand crew, their job is to make sure they get all the wood out from under the house. And they, once again, they're doing that perimeter, the fire, quote unquote, firewise perimeter, where we're trying to create space in between the house and vegetation. And so sometimes they stay, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we stay, sometimes we don't. Um, and if sometimes if we do stay, then we'll, we'll put fire on the ground behind the house or, you know, if we've had once again, you know, the few days of, of, uh, prep time, 
we can put a line like a hand line in or a dozer line in behind you know said structures or area that needs to be protected and then you can burn off of that before the fire comes and create another buffer and another big chunk of space obviously you would have black and when the fire hits that black it just stops mm -hmm. um so it's 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 a really archaic yet intellectual way of of doing business i think rather than just putting water on the hot stuff putting water on the hot stuff i like that <laughs> yeah so i feel like and correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like we kind of went over some of the best case scenarios and what they look like would you say that's true yes what about worst case scenarios what do they look like um if you're asking a firefighter i think the worst case scenario is somebody doesn't get to go home at night one of us or you know public for sure as well but i think um our primary goal is to fight fire aggressively having provided safety first so the big take-home message every day when you're out on the line is get home to your family or we all go home tonight and nobody dies and um that's worst case scenario for the public i mean you know it's it's a it's a big parade uh sad parade type of thing when a firefighter dies but i mean we care about people's homes um i shouldn't have to say i promise we do but we do the hardest situation i think let me just back up and try to go direct here is obviously losing structures you know seeing a family come back to a concrete frame that's charred and black everywhere with nothing standing that sucks uh, and it's shitty but i think the worst of the worst is seeing folks pass uh because of a job you know i mean if you zoom way out i mean we're talking about life and we're talking about something that all it's doing is paying the bills i mean it's it's there's people with really badass jobs out there and at the end of the day those jobs pay the bills and if they die in that line of work it's kind of I mean, it's a big bummer in a way, like we all love what we do in this, in, in my line of work, but at the same time, it's, I'd say that's worst case scenario and, and put my stamp on that. But yeah, for sure, losing homes or, um, or vehicles or accidents happening because of it, or, you know, pe air quality, another bad situation that is, is a big topic right now. And it's something we dealt with last year in Alaska, in my town here on uh, the Kenai Peninsula, I had a air monitor up um, that was given to me by another agency uh, for the government and asked me if I'd put it up around my house and I did and and uh, yeah we were in like it goes in color codes and I think you know red obviously says a lot in badness but I think it all went all the way to like dark dark purple red with black or something and that's where we were for a good chunk so i think worst case scenario in in, in the easy foresight is a death or uh, losing a structure but I mean, long term, there's health effects to some of this other shit, too, that, I mean, even us on the front lines don't know what we're uh, consuming in our lungs every day or, excuse mm -hmm. me, inhaling, you know. So that's, it's a tough, that's a tough direct question as far as, like, what the worst looks like. But, I mean, day in and day out, we'll get our ass kicked and have to do what we call uh, uh, go big box or, or develop another plan that means us moving back because we're going to get our ass kicked if this thing hits us right here. So that's ops normal, what we say. But yeah, I think I think life and property obviously are the two biggest concerns or the two biggest bummers that uh, that we deal with for sure. Yeah, it seems like it's a multifaceted question. Like it can be really bad in one direction and also really bad in another direction. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not a linear 
like answer. I think it's a, or at least for visual sake, it's more of a 3D. There's all kinds of spider webby shit that we deal with. And that's just, that's once again, I mean, that's just in the immediate. There's all, I think I mentioned to you in our communications, all the mental health stuff that we deal with and, and, and let alone our families not having us for two, two weeks to, a, to two months, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, there's a lot of worst case scenarios, but at the same time, there's a lot of best case scenarios from those worst case scenarios or a lot of lessons learned or philosophical growth or, you know, physical growth. But I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it a rigged question, but it's, it's, it's not an easy answer, answered question for sure. And I know you didn't want to get into the mental health stuff, but just so we have that somewhat covered, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it would include a lot of the same mental health effects as, say, something like a police officer or somebody who works at the fire department. Yeah, for sure. And I would even take it a step further. Um and there's a lot of ways we don't like to be compared to the military, and there's a lot of ways that it just is what it is, and it is sometimes like the military, the hierarchy, all this, the mental health. But, you know, cops uh, and fire department, like structure fire guys, those guys, you know, they they might pull a 24-hour shift or something, but we might pull a 36-hour shift and then still have 13 more days left on our tour of duty. Um, so it's different. Um, we're not facing bad guys or running into, uh, grandma's home to carry her out, but there's a lot of stuff at stake. And and then let alone, you're so completely removed from your family at home. And, and you get to think about them really, if, if you're engaged on in, in a leader or, you know, uh, experiencing this job to where you're dependent upon for responsibility and, and, and a bunch of other things. Um, you, you block so much stuff out. It's like being in war in a way it's you in the fire, it's your crew in the fire. It's, and it's your buddies, whatever. And so you build, you forge these huge relationships, um, that I see your dirty face and smell your nasty breath every morning. Uh, and then, and, and, you know, I'm helping, helping you finish your, your job or chore and you're helping me finish mine or you're looking out for me on the line and vice versa. And so, and then all of a sudden it's over two weeks later. And that's if no one, you know, no worst case scenario, no one dies or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, the difference is we come home and there's no hashing all that out. There's no system in place. Uh, And that's, I think the differentiating, excuse me, the line that makes it different, you know, even from I'm comparing it to the military, but they still have a system in place to deal with this known quote unquote PTSD, which I don't mind talking about the mental health. I did want to touch on it when we were communicating, but uh, I just wanted to be careful because it's a hot topic and there's a lot of things in motion right now that I'm happy to be a part of in the peripherals and in the and in the background. But um, I want to get the message out for this stuff because it's it's different. We don't get to come home and talk about it. We don't have a, a plan in place uh, as far as the, the whole system. Um, it's not acknowledged. And then there's a lot of other stuff uh, internally behind the scenes that I don't really want to get into politically uh, in, in, in the line of work that I'm in, but um, just even with our titles, all kinds of things, there's some grumbles and um, some things are coming to a head. And I think the mental health issue is one of them. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's just no system in place. We have tons of, we have more suicide, I think, or just as much per capita. I believe it's more 
it's definitely more than the regular workforce, but it it's it's comparable or more than the military as far as our suicide rate. Um, I mean, we're all tough guys and tough gals out there on the line, and we don't want to talk about this stuff anyway. But when we're ready to talk about it, when we need to talk about it, it's it's the outlet isn't really there, or the the system hasn't provided it. And so, there's a lot of other uh, grassroots efforts going on right now, which once again, I'm happy to be involved in to a certain degree um, in whatever way I legally can. But I think I think it's a huge issue, man, and um, it's a sad deal. You know, we've had some fatalities here recently. A, a, a SEAT, which is a single engineer tanker. SEAT is its acronym. And it's a uh, basically a crop duster that sprays retardant, drops retardant. Um, we've had three of those crash this year, which is very abnormal, with uh, one of them being very recent. And on top of that, you know, a week ago, we had a, a dude out of the Big Bear Hot Shots over in California died on the line. So... I can't imagine doing your normal tour. I haven't had to deal with a fatality yet that way. I've had the, I know some buddies who have killed themselves or uh, people that have died, uh, you know, on the job, but not while I've been on that fire. And I can't imagine going home after that or having somebody in my crew even dying and, and, you know, dealing with that. It's, there are certain things in place. There's what's called a critical incident uh, stress management team, but it's still pretty early in its birth and, and, um, you know, a few years old, but, it's like it's like sometimes I maybe this is just my idea, so I don't want to vouch for the whole system, but it seems like it might be you know some folks that are work for whatever agency come in and try to talk to a bunch of dudes that don't want to talk about what just happened and and these people that are trying to get that information out of us to help us and give us the little hugs and and touches we need um it's like unrelatable because they either weren't there weren't aren't a firefighter, haven't been on the line or you know, there's all kinds of disconnects. So I'll digress, but I, I I think that it's a very important issue that needs a lot more attention and uh, uh, understanding. You know, one thing that comes to mind is that people in your line of work don't have a human enemy or a human opponent. You know, you're fighting a fire. And so PTSD in your line of work looks entirely different from the military, from being a police officer, law enforcement. Totally. And um, we don't have an enemy. In fact, we take pride in like not being, I don't want to say hateful people or people that want to hurt people, but we don't want an enemy, man. I mean, it's, it's a very, very unique collective of people that all have a ton of individual individuality left in them, even though they're working for, you know, whatever government agency. And that's what makes it a little different. And so, you know, with all that said, we, without an enemy, we don't have this common, I mean, we do have all a common ground and all this stuff, but it's, it, but it makes it that much more un, un understandable in a way, uh, hard to understand because yeah, you just, you don't, you can't put your thumb on it. And, and then you've got a bunch of egos and, and my business is full of them and it's a shell, it's a, it's armor, it's protective to have that said ego sometimes or most of the time. And so now you meet some guy that has a clipboard and a notebook or whatever and a nice lounging chair and he's sitting across from you and tell me, tell me how you feel. And you're like, yo, dude, I feel like I want to be in the woods, not right here, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I'd say it's a solid 51%, you know? Do you think that that 
need to go back to the woods. Do you find any parallels between that? And I know you didn't want to make the military comparison, but that's what it reminded me of people that go to war and, you know, they need to get back to Vietnam. They need to get back to Afghanistan, Iraq. For sure. I, I, you're touching on something big time there. Um, there is that feeling you don't, you don't want to be a puss, man. You don't, you don't want to not be out there with your crew. And so if you're, let's say you go down, I had a, I was with the helicopter, I was telling you, um, out of Montana. So we get to travel down and, and hook up with, you know, other, other firefighting modules. So I hopped on a helicopter, um, about, oh, I was on it for three weeks and I got home maybe two weeks ago. And, um, I rolled my ankle. We were doing PT playing basketball, which, um, you did that episode on muff, uh, on lost Anchorage. And I thought, I told you, I thought that was a sweet episode. I related with that guy in basketball terms. Mm -hmm. And so we're playing basketball and, um, I roll my ankle, not a big deal. I finished the game. Once again, there's a lot of ego and toughness BS and wrapped up into that, but we got a fire. So anytime stuff like this happens, uh, for instance, you forget your boots or you just washed the helicopter or the engine, whatever. You're trying to like will this fire. Although I'm not trying to get hurt, I'm thinking, well, I got hurt. We're probably going to get a fire today. Sure shit, we did. And um, I got this rolled ankle. Uh, not a big deal. I can walk, but I'm not like hiking fast by any means. And so it comes time to like the, the helicopter crews. Uh, we did all of our helicopter stuff. And now the helicopter is doing buckets, which frees us up to be troops on the ground and boots on the ground. So we've got four or five people going. And one of my good old buddies asked me, Boozy, you probably going to hang back, uh, you know, at Hella Base? And I'm like, man, I don't know. And I uh, said, maybe I ought to with the ankle. And he said, okay. And then right after I said that, I see this big flare up in the background, uh, you know, a big ponderosa pine uh, torches up. And I was like, hey, man, Brandon, now, nah, man, I'm going to go. I can't sit here. I'll, I'll chew my leg off or something. And um, so there you go, hiking up this, this mountain with a bum ankle. And I think that's representative of, to that whole thing. Uh, you don't want to not be there with your troops. You don't want to be a puss. Like, uh, you know, if, if, if you throw up, you like step away, throw up and get back in line and keep going. There's a lot of that. And, 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 and I love that about this, but it, it, you're right. It, it, there was another instance where uh, I was going to be pulled back to my home unit. Uh, I had to deal with some stupid little disciplinary, non, non, uh, critical disciplinary stuff, just inner crew. Uh, we had a little, you know, whatever, a bunch of dudes being together for 20 days or whatever mm -hmm. stuff happens, not a big deal. And so I took care of it, called the home unit and they're like, well, we're probably going to sit you down. Uh, you're not going to go back out for a couple weeks. And when I got home, I was just like a rat locked in a cage and uh, I was spinning circles and I'm like, dude, I, I, this is, and I was kind of, I wasn't being disciplined in, in, in and of myself by what the actions I took or, you know, just they were, they, their idea zoomed out was, you know, level your head and, you know, get, get settled out and whatever. But at in my head was like, you're going to sit, you're going to sit me out. And it's, I, and I, I even said these words, the military thing, it's like, it's like sending the troops back and I got to hang back while they're all going to battle and, uh, and not for glory, but for you know, the camaraderie and like this, that's my job and you're going to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And they ended up letting me go, which was awesome. But you touched on it, man. I, it's a huge deal. Yeah. It sounds like what you just said, you know, a combination of camaraderie, responsibility, and loyalty. Yeah. You know, I've, I've interviewed 
military personnel, and they say very similar things in that, you know, if they're not there, then something could happen that they maybe could have prevented. You know, there's always like that what if. Yep. Mm -hmm. For sure. It, it's alive and well in, in our industry. And we've got, man, I, I, I think, <clears throat> and it's tough too, because I don't want to call it FOMO, but maybe the regular culture would, but our culture is, it's, it is the loyalty, but it's also, man, and that's part of that weird kind of unvelcroing your mental status to come home is you're around all these badass people, man. And in and, and, and our job, there's tons of laughs, there's tons of lows, uh, but it's, it's at the end of the day, we're all hugging and, and, and doing all that cool stuff. And we're all promoting each other and not looking necessarily at ourselves in that way. And trying to make the team better and i've i've never i couldn't imagine doing any other job uh, everywhere i go uh, i meet the most badass people and i don't want to miss that and um you know and creating those relationships and uh, seeing seeing something else and being in a beautiful place that most people pay tons and tons of money to go to and i'm sitting on top of the mountain in that said place checking the scene out and whatever like living it up I think it's a it's sweet job. So yeah, going getting back out to the woods or getting back with the crew, uh, I think that's a very common ground or common thought in 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 our world. How important is a a tight symbiotic crew? Very. So I'll just give you a real quick thing, uh, just kind of to explain the ego. Uh, the Sigmund Freud fire ego here is I meet you, Cody, on the line. Uh, you're, let's say I'm walking a dozer line to tie in with you, uh, and you're uh, on another division, meaning you're on a, a split, a separate part of the fire on a map. And I walk to you and we meet and then, you know, first thing is names. Uh, and this is probably the second question is where are you from or what, what unit are you with or whatever. And then the third, one of the most important is how long you, how long you been in the game or how long, how long you been doing this. And, uh, it vouches a whole lot of stuff. And so, if you zoom way into the crew with that mentality, um, you know, the loyalty with all that stuff and then the symbiotic, there's a lot of moving pieces and you need to be able to depend on this person. And let's say you, once again, I meet you and you're on my crew. Let's, instead of that dozer scenario, dozer line scenario where I'm meeting you, I brought that up to bring that good question up. How long you've been doing this? So now that I know how long you've been doing this, let's say you're on my crew and let's say you're a rookie. I know what your capabilities are you know, fire wise, mm -hmm. I know what you are supposed to be able to do. That doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it. And it doesn't mean you're going to be a person that walks into the room and everybody looks at like, you know, this is a capable person. This is a leader, you know, that air, if Michael Jordan walked into the bulls locker room, everybody shut the hell up and listened or uh, Steve Nash with the sons, my man. But um, <laughs> these leaders walk into a room and that same thing is said even when they're not leaders, it's their personality, their body language, their intellect, um, their philosophical drive, all these things. And then you, and you, you throw all these people that all have their own versions of that and you put them on a 20-person hand crew. And in a hotshot crew, they're going to have two or three weeks to work out a lot of their bugs uh, early in the preseason. They have what's called criticals. So they have like 80 hours of training, so two weeks on, on the clock plus all the other stuff off the clock they do. But they're building that relationship and they're forging it and they're sewing it together and slapping it together and where there's holes, they'll, you know, whatever, the metaphorical duct taping that all together. And now you got this crew that's going to roll together all year long 
and they're going to have highs and lows together. They're going to get sick of each other. They're going to be get drunk together. They're going to, you know, have some of their best moments together. And then it's over at the end of the year. But the, the, sim, the symbiotic thing, I'll tell you, like for the crew up here in Alaska that we do, we do a throw together crew, a type two IA throw together crew. And IA stands for initial attack. It just means some other qualification stuff in the books, but, um, for intents and purposes, a 20 person crew. And you got them coming in from Denali. You got them coming in from, uh, Southeast, you know, catch or not catch can, uh, Juno, uh, Huna, uh, Wrangell, uh, the Kenai Peninsula, uh, you know, and maybe some state folks, right? Or the refuge, Kenai refuge. So you've got all these people coming together that have never worked together. And this is how fire is as a whole. So this is a good representation, but zoomed in in a microscope. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, the hotshot crew or the organized type 2A crew uh, th that we that are out there, they have, the, once again, those those pre-season training weeks to kind of hash some stuff out and develop a rapport. With our crew, you've you got all these mod podge of people, and some of them aren't what's called primary fire. Maybe their job is trails, or maybe their job is fisheries or some shit, you know? And so you throw them all in together, and now you got to start building and it's slow at first, unless you've all kind of worked together and again, right. But you get, uh, you get a lot of really unique situations that I think even makes you a better leader. If you are the one leading these people is now you're dealing with, I've got to do this all over again. I've got to, I've got to get to know this crew, know who's reliable, know who I can put on the saws. That's not going to kill themselves or somebody standing next to them. Uh, I got to know who, maybe is our best hiker and then i damn sure got to know who our worst hiker is uh as far as like escape routes if we've got to move or something i got to know who's the best driver there's all kinds of stuff that or i mean excuse me who the worst driver is there's all kinds of stuff that falls into place here that that the normal person doesn't think about until you're at that leadership level you know with trying to get some symbiosis going but it's huge dude and 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 and, and then once again the big huge question or the big the big huge uh, subject with the symbiosis is is uh, for the crew is once again like i've got to depend on you to like not kill me and you know look out for me if i'm if i'm in a sketch situation you know i don't want you to kill me basically so um yeah it's 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 super dynamic that way dude mm -hmm. you know earlier you mentioned a firefighter's philosophical drive you also mentioned that when we were talking on instagram can you talk about that a little more yeah um and it's that's it's a very abstract maybe an abstract statement that i like to use but there's something different man about you put a structure firefighter and stand them next to any wildland firefighter male female whatever and and i think there's a philosophical drive there's a can-do attitude which i wouldn't say that the structure guys don't have but i think our job is more you know rather than once again, putting water on the hot stuff. More than that, it's thinking, and and it's an, and for me anyway, this is this this is my opinion, Cody. Um, and I, I I take great value in in my growth. I've been doing this job for 15 years, and I'm 35 years old, going on 36 in a month or two. But and started out very weak-minded in the game. Um, always been a natural like leader, even just as comedic value or morale goes, but the philosophical growth in, in myself has really uh, taken off since I've moved to Alaska five years ago, 2015, I think. And um, the drive is different. The I, I guess rewind to, to get spit out what I was trying to say is if you zoom out, 
like our job is just to solve problems. Once again, Cody's house is in the way. How do I get that fire to move that way? Mm-hmm. Uh, or how do I stop this fire? And this is all I got. I got these 20 people and it's day two and I don't know them. Uh, come here from Sikkim and I've got to be able to like you, you and you go there. You, you and you grab these three heavy ass things and hike them up to that top of the hill because we're going to need them tomorrow. And so it's it's a big thinking game to me. And and as I zoom out more and more these days of uh, in thinking uh, terms, it, it becomes like a philosophical chess game to me uh, of what can or can't I do with what I do or don't have. And I think to keep the mind sharp in this game, I say this game, in fire, wildland fire is is only a bonus. I don't think everybody does it. And I'm, I'm damn sure not everybody does it the same way or like me. And that's there's guys that do it a lot better than me. But I do take pride in being like a philosophical, um, I don't know, a philosophical mind out there that tends to think differently uh, when solving those problems. And... Uh, that's taken a lot of failure. Um, and so I don't think us in this line of work as, uh, as a whole, I don't think that most of us are scared of failure. Uh, I think we know it's naturally a part of the gig and then that translates into life. And this is where I get all philosophical. It translates into life a whole bunch. I mean, there's not a lot I fear quote unquote, you know, in, in the real world or, um, there's not a lot of shit that I don't question when I'm being told something because in fire, you could be briefed that the, you know, in briefing, the weather is going to be doing this today. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you, let's say we're supposed to get a thunderstorm by 1700 and my, I, this probably isn't philosophical more than it's cynical, um, is like, okay, I don't, I, I just don't, I trust, I trust the, and this is no knock to our beloved meteorologist, um, you know, agency wide, but I don't trust the weather just like I don't trust a politician. And so when I get this prediction of whatever's supposed to happen at whatever time, it's hard for me to roll with. So my philosophical nature is we'll deal with it when it happens or we can prep for it. But in the end, we're going to either be being proactive or being reactive. And, And I think to be philosophical minded while you're doing all this, really keeps the 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 pulse at a solid 72 to 75 when a lot of people are jumping to buck 50 real quick mm-hmm. um and, and yelling and pointing and freaking out and clogging up traffic and so just to get into that what i call find your buddha uh mentality it's like just chill the hell out and 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 focus and zoom out because it's it's a, it's really easy to hone in on 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 a problem and just obsess about it whenever you've got 10 more problems that you haven't even seen yet or you know like the the benevolent uh donald rumsfeld said uh all the knowns and unknowns and unknown 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 you know just going on and on but yeah well you know i think you have to have a personal philosophical reason why you do what you do especially if your profession is dangerous yeah, I mean, I would hope so. I hope you have some sort of like philosophical or spiritual value system or some way of thinking and honing it in or uh, knowing how to relieve pressure, uh, some sort of pressure relief valve, so to speak, with all that. But for sure, man, for sure. Do you have a a ritual you do before going out? 
Boy, I've never been asked that question. Hmm. I mean, I guess I do. I I don't know how like intentional or uh, conscious of it I am, but I sure do. I mean, I think we all do to a certain degree. And one of them (laughs) is to make sure I have some nicotine. You know, I got these little zins, but that's one thing a fire guy or gal. I mean, a lot of us are, there's a lot of chewers and shit out there, but um, yeah, I, I, I like to, I, and I like to just kind of visualize what could or couldn't happen and, and just remind myself over and over again, you know, while I'm thinking about all these things that I'm about to pull up to or fly into or hike into, um, you know, it, it's always the same. And by that, I'm saying it's always different and it's always changing. So you can depend on, it's not going to be the way they told you. Mm-hmm. You can depend on it's going to change by the time you get there, let alone while you're there working. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think there's, I mean, I don't like pull out a crucifix and kiss it or, you know, um, juggle some beads or anything, but for sure, uh, there's, there's probably some really deep subconscious things. And I think one of them is just to be quiet. I, I, I do a lot of what I hope is intellectual speaking, but I try to just shut my ass up uh, and think before I act or think before I say anything when it comes to fire. And I didn't learn that till, you know, once again, a few good years ago, but I spent a lot of time struggling with that. But yeah, it's for sure. There's, there's rituals out there. Was there something that happened a few years ago that kind of forced you to think that way? Yeah. um, So, to rewind in my career, I started out, uh, I'm originally from Oklahoma and I started out there while I was in college. And then to get real fast forward here, um, moved all over the country, working the job, Southern New Mexico, Southern California, Eastern Montana, uh, Southern Illinois, and then Nevada. I took a permanent, what we call a permanent, um, which means I'm not a temporary season anymore. I'm a permanent guy, so I don't have to keep reapplying. But um, in Nevada, you know, just a lot of growth of becoming a permanent and a, a leader on paper. But it was one dimensional for a lot of my career being on an engine and a wildland engine. And so with a lot of the same responsibilities in, in the places I went. And then, you know, like I said, five years ago, coming up to AK, it's a big thinking man's game. It's not an engine place. So you could, for instance, I'm on an engine. I staff an engine these days uh, as the assistant, but uh, assistant captain. But I tell people everywhere I go, like that, that thing is a means of transportation, and it just happens to haul some water if we do get to use it or need it. But but we park it and hike, or park it, or don't even park it, but we get a lift from a helicopter or something. Or and so it's not so one dimensional. In fact, it's way more uh, complicated and complex than I've ever thought. But at the same time, it's, it's made me, it's like, it's like being 12. This is what it's like in my mind. It's like being 12 or 13. uh, And I grew up playing basketball, like I mentioned earlier when I, when I was trying to relate to Muff. Um, but we used to play ball all the time, uh, Sundays and Wednesdays. I grew up, had my own gym key and shit, but we, uh, we we played basketball as young dudes and we played these old dudes. Some of them even played college ball and stuff and some big guys and got roughed up. But, you know, you play, you, you're like the weakest guy out there and you spend a lot of time being the weakest guy out there and you're the weakest guy out there because all these other dudes are, are big timers or they're, or whatever. Um, and they know the game. They know what they have, they have quote unquote basketball intellect. And now if you, if you 
minus the metaphor now and come back over to fire, it's like coming to Alaska, I felt like that 12-year-old again or 13-year-old playing basketball against a 23-year-old that's, you know, big body sitting on chrome down low or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's roughing you up. And, and, and now, after, and after only five years, which, I mean, being in AK – you're really an, an Alaskan if you spend a whole year here, winter around or whatever. And so I'm still very immature and young in my Alaska knowledge and in my tenure. I would not want to claim that because there's some hard, hard MFers uh, in this place that have been here for 30, 40, 50 years, let alone help build some of the roads here. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and, and in fire, the same, the same story. But I, I'll say like being here and playing with the big boys and they're not even big boys or big egos. I'm just using that metaphor again, but fighting fire like this up here, using your brain to fight fire is a lot different than pulling up to a fire in, you know, uh, Colorado or Texas or Nevada, whatever, name the place, Utah, and hopping out of the engine, turning the pump on and having a guy spray while you're driving an engine and he's walking or whatever happens. Um, it's a lot different. I mean, you're, you're, you're planning three or four days out at, at minimum, hopefully uh, up here just for logistics, let alone everything else with the fire. And so, uh, it's definitely changed my game. And now when I go, uh, I've, I've become such, such a better firefighter intellectually that when I go down South, um, and I want to be as humble as I can here, I'm not trying to toot my own horn at all, but, um, I, I feel like in my mind, I go down south and things are easier now. It's like sometimes, and I'm not disrespecting fire in the south at all, but it's a little easier for me. Like I, I, I realize the big picture a lot better and, and I'm able to play chess a little better with that fire, with all the pieces. Uh, and I'm only, man, I'm only like mid, mid-level uh, management here. Mid, and so there's still a lot of pieces above me, but I do understand how they work now uh, where in the past, I didn't. Once again, you pull up, talk to a guy, and start spraying water or digging line. And now it's, you know, how are we even going to get to this fire? You know, mm-hmm. it's made me a stronger player for sure. If you could kind of describe a little, a little more in depth what you mean by it's easier now, you know, when you go down to the States to fight fires, in, in what way is it easier? Um, Hmm, that's a good question. I, I, it's it's easier in my mind, whereas I understand that there's going to be a lot more unknowns, um, and I'm way more intentioned and way more uh, experienced dealing with so many unknowns of being motivated to make some of those knowns, and and that's that's very Alaskan firefight firefighting like i won't say strategy but uh i see it naturally in a lot of the guys i rub shoulders with up here uh, and and the fire world's really small in alaska and so you can kind of not make mentorship relationships but i definitely try to see what you know the homie on my left's doing well and homegirl on the right what she's doing well or not doing well and take the what, what i can use from that and so when i come down south i i, I once again i can zoom out and see the big picture and realize it's a big chess game and it's not checkers. We don't have to like butt heads with this thing, uh, this, this fire and do something stupid. We can scout this other stuff and make some knowns uh, out of the unknowns. Uh, and so I'm way more comfortable with that. 
Uh, I'm way more comfortable with just fire behavior in general and how it all works. And I, I, you know, I think naturally growing older and more mature helps you kind of realize what matters and, you know, like not worth getting upset about the things that don't matter as much as, as we grow older. But, um, yeah, I, I tend to let things roll off my back a little easier when I go down there. Um, uh, you know, if I can't get something because up in Alaska, you're not going to get anything. And if you do get something, you better order two because one is none. And so it's, it's very refreshing to me to go down there. And, you know, once again, it's like the basketball analogy or metaphor I feel like everything falls into place real easy and I can see the floor uh, a lot better than the person who's dribbling with their head down thinking that they've got to go shoot, a.k.a. they are making the decisions on this fire based on only the knowns and not even acknowledging the unknowns. Where what I like to do is bring to the table like, yo, man, this this road that's has, has this road been scouted? Well, I scouted it. We've got a great line here if we wanted to use that. Or, hey, have you thought about putting retardant on this side and burning this side out? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And just being able to and having the comfortability and tact to be able to communicate that is, is once again, I think it the Alaska, I don't know, the Alaska attitude, the Alaska experience has helped me a lot with that. And so easier, I think, means I feel a lot more comfortable. Uh, I feel like I've got a lot, a lot, lot more to offer whenever I show up to a fire. And it could be a big incident, but my mind, when I pull up to a fire, here's your ritual for you. My, when I pull up to a fire or get to a fire, you know, a single resource, which is equal to uh, me pulling up the fire by myself as some overhead position or whatever, I feel really comfortable and confident about what I can offer. So I'm naturally trying to find a crack that I can squeeze into and then turn that crack into a big gorge, so to speak. And that's an, uh, that's an analogy um, to be able to have something to hang on to or something to utilize to help the fire, to help my supervisor on the fire or my crew or my uh, division. And and I just feel a lot more confident in showing up that way with the mentality of like, I know my strengths and I know what I can do to help this place. And I know when I need to keep my mouth shut and, and then back off, you know. The other day when we were talking, I asked you to think about some stories that stick out in your mind. Did you have a chance to do that? Yeah. Um, I've got, it's, sometimes it's hard. It'd be a lot easier if you and I were sitting around a fire drinking a beer, but, um, for sure, man. Um, I think one that really stands out to me that kind of always stays close in my chest is, uh, my very first, and this is a big growing moment for me. Maybe, maybe this is pinpointing a couple of your other questions with one answer here, um, with this story, but, my first season up here was 2015 and it was one of our more epic seasons in Alaska. Um, obviously 2004, I say obvious for the folks that don't know, 2004 was our largest fire season on record, I believe. Um, and so 2015 was, uh, the second and that was my first year. And so, um, yeah, I had a fire outside of Cooper landing as the IC, but, um, were you here in 2015, Cody? I was, yeah. Okay, so you remember the sockeye fire up by Willow? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And uh, so we had a ton of folks and, and a ton of folks from my unit um, up there. And so we were depleted, which this is natural in fire. You always 
fight the fire you have, uh, one in the hand, two in the bush scenario. Um, so you fight the fire you have and then worry about, you know, the fire you get tomorrow, um, tomorrow. And so we released a bunch of resources to go to this fire uh, up in Willow, which for the folks that don't know, listen to this, is where uh, a lot of sled dog folks live, uh, a very unique place. And uh, it's where the Iditarod start is, um, I believe still. And um, anyway, we sent a bunch of folks there. I had this fire outside of Cooper Landing, well, in Cooper Landing, um, that was closing in on Sackets, if you know where that used to be. Um, it's now another restaurant, but basically it's on the east, excuse me, the west side of Cooper Landing as if you're heading to Sterling before you get to the Russian River uh, Ferry. And so I had a fire there back and down uh, as a lightning strike and I've got no resources and it's it's within like three quarters of a mile of this, to this restaurant. And I, it, it was just, once again, it was just a uh, headache to try to like solve this problem Luckily, we got more resources in, but this whole year was just a huge, huge learning curve for me, and I could go back and, and watch a highlight reel of that season and watch me and just kind of punk on myself the whole time um, this whole year. But fast forward that same year, the, the, the big meat and potatoes of this story, I just wanted to lay that down as far as like it was a, it was a crazy year in 2015, and, and so fast forward, and I had my first, um, I was working on my what's called crew boss which is the leader of, uh, you know, that 20 person crew we we're talking about. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm working on that. I'm it's, it's, you're, you're labeled as a crew boss trainee until you get signed off. Uh, basically the show is yours. The crew is yours, but, uh, you have a qualified crew boss that basically is your handler and make sure you don't do anything too stupid. Um, my handler was one of the most laid back guys I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and I love him for it. And at, at the time I hated him for it. Um, no guidance. It was, uh, and I'll do an impression. It's like, Hey man, you'll figure it out. That's how he talked. And, and, and so we're on this fire. Uh, lots of people there is outside of man, uh, yeah. Manly hot Springs into the road interior. And, um, we're sitting at camp and a black bear comes to camp and, um, we chase it off. This is my first experience with any of this. this is my first bushfire, uh, you know, uh, isolated remotely uh, with a hand crew. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the fire outside of Cooper Landing. I was uh, sleeping in my bed, I believe, not the first night, but, you know, after the second night or whatever, um, while I was managing that fire. And uh, so this fire, you know, sleeping on the ground. And, and if you know Alaska, uh, for the listeners, you know that you can go two weeks. And if you don't get rain, you're in a drought. So you're going to get rain you know, even on these big fires and it's going to keep going. Uh, so that was a learning thing for me. Um, but back to the bear. So we're sitting at camp and I'm just, I'm trying to learn all I can from this dude. And he's not, he's basically just showing me and not telling me a, a damn word or damn thing, which is good. I needed that too. But so we're sitting at camp, 19 other people, myself, 20 black bear shows up and, uh, you know, folks are like not panicking, but you could see some sense of urgency trying to scare this thing off. And I looked to my trainer and I said, Hey man, there's a, there's a black bear in camp. Uh, what do we need to do? Like what's protocol? I'm, I'm brand new to this state. I'm, I'm, I'm eight months old here. And, uh, he's, he's like, he's, it was dinner time. And so he's stirring his cup of ramen noodle 
or whatever else we had. I don't remember what he was eating, but I want to remember it was a soup or a cup of ramen noodles that he boiled some water and heated up remotely there. And uh, he never even looked up at me. He just stirs his ramen and says, eh, you'll figure it out, man. And in the meantime, it's like not chaos, but here's this bear in camp. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? Like, what do you mean? I'll figure it out. He's like, you heard me. And he sits there like it was like some epic movie where the general or the captain of that platoon is finishing his stinking coffee. And in the meantime, bullets are flying over his head and his whole platoon's like freaking out and firing back and asking him what to do. And he's like just unfazed. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, okay. And so I just started like having to do it, um, you know, come up with what we had to do. Got a smoke jumper in there as a bear guard. I put a bear guard in there for camp, yada, yada, yada. A few days later, I'm checking on my bear guard or I'm checking on the camp, my cruise camp uh, bear guard and the uh, smoke jumper. So I go back to have lunch and they're sitting there together having lunch. So it's all three of us. And um, so he's got a shotgun and then he's got a 44 under his arm pit and uh we're eating lunch bsing and the uh, one of the, my crew members says bear bear and this bear is like 15 feet behind me i look back and i'm like okay and then the jumper dispatches the bear and um you know next thing you know i'm helping clean this thing this bear at the manly hot springs dump uh to get it away from everybody while we did that so we didn't attract more more wildlife but yeah, we, we cleaned the bear. We donated it to uh, one of the locals, the meat. And uh, yeah, that was my first Alaska bush, like interior fire experience. And I walked away from there, like just amongst other things, but um, happened there, but just walked away from there. Like what an experience. And, you know, I'll never be a part of that again in anywhere in the lower 48. I mean, this is, I've come to the right place. I've come to the the place I want to be. It was, it was very unique. And, and obviously just as a disclaimer, we felt horrible about the bear. It's not what we like to do. In fact, not, we're not judgmental about it, but we're damn sure careful uh, to try not to let that happen. So I wanted to say that, like, I'm not pumped about the bear dying. Well, your leader was right. You figured it out. <laughs> yeah, I did somehow. I mean, it, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it just figured itself out. I don't want to take too much credit. <laughs> You know, I have I have a few kind of miscellaneous questions written down um, that I've I've been kind of like working around, but I think that you might have some great answers for them. So I was going through your Instagram, and you have a video on there of you and a crew listening to music during pre-flight. <laughs> I imagine you don't always have the opportunity to listen to music, but when you do, what do you listen to on your way to a fire? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, and yeah, that was very unique. Uh, the helicopter pilot, he ended up being one of my really good fire buds now. Really super solid dude. And that whole crew, that helicopter crew was out of Billings, Montana. That's who I jumped on with for three weeks. But um, yeah, he had a cord hooked up to the uh, speaker system in the like the radio, so like we can all talk, kind of like I got my headset on now talking to you. Mm -hmm. We could talk without being on the radio where everybody could hear us down below us, uh, just an internal, like whatever. Um, and so he can play music on there. Um, as far as listening to the music uh, on the way to a fire, man, I, I've, I've got a couple of go-tos. 
I really like a tribe called Red, like some good solid Native American uh, borderline powwow music with some uh, a little bit of electronica on top of it. It's very uh, blood pumping. And then uh, <laughs> there's an old song from the 90s uh, by Bone Thugs and... Uh, Harmony? Yeah, Bone Thugs and Harmony and, and uh, Notorious B.I.G. called... Uh, Oh shoot! It just it just left me. Notorious Thugs and uh, yeah, those are some. But that one has some other stuff too, as far as like crew stuff. It's all it's all nostalgic in a way. But um, you know, sometimes to be honest with you, I if if I know I'm about to be the head cheese on a fire, I like I like a little silence too. Mm -hmm. You know, to pull up so I can kind of gather my thoughts on the way. But for sure, uh, some tribe called Red pumps me up. And what is the relationship between the pilot and the firefighters like? It's, it's, I mean, that's a, that's a dynamic answer too, uh, or a complex answer. I, I think it's different crew to crew, um, which you could ask that same question. What's the relationship with, you know, uh, an engine boss and his, and his crew or a crew boss and his crew. It's, it's based on personality. I think also it's based on trust, uh, and that loyalty, but um, that pilot in particular had a lot going on, man. He's a, a real cool dude. And I've been around a lot of pilots. I haven't been around a lot of pilots that are in the mix doing the dirty work with you. He's not boots on the ground, but um, when there was something to be done, he was jumping in with the crew. When there was downtime, he was playing cards with us, uh, going out at night with us. And And I understand not all pilots can do that just because of other stuff going on, but the guy made a point to to uh spend a lot of time with us and um he's out of uh mccall idaho uh a guy by the name of jeff adams so shout out to him he's he's a badass um but you know it it, it you could you could have an awesome pilot that really wants to jump in with the crew that way and build that and forge that relationship but you know it depends on the crew too uh, it's a two-way street and you know to have that crew in particular was very unique in my experience they were they were awesome everybody got along. I haven't laughed so hard and, uh, and I laugh a lot, but I hadn't laughed that hard. And, and I mean, from eight in the morning till, you know, eight thirty or 10 at night, mm -hmm. we had good times. And, and I, it, it, it takes the personality. I, I, I think I don't want to toot my horn again, but I have a, I was saying earlier, maybe I try too hard sometimes, but the comedic value in my, my natural, like I want to help morale out all the time. And I want to be a leader in as far as, not caretaking for people, but you know, the mental well-being and like, yo, this is just a job. Let's don't be afraid to laugh. Don't be afraid to mess up. Um, take some stuff serious, but at the end of the day, it's a job. And, and those guys did a real good job of that. And, you know, some pilots are new to the game. We had, you know, we were on a fire with our pilot and, um, not really joking around. It's kind of frowned upon to be, you know, bullshitting over the radio, the, the normal radio, uh, and not just the headset in the helicopter, but, you know, getting bucket drops from him was, it was like I was talking to an old friend and telling him he's not reading my mind, but where I might not be so clear to another pilot in, in my expressions um, with him, it was like he knew what I was thinking. And so uh, I, I do think that happens a decent amount out there um, on helicopter crews, but uh, that one was very unique. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a part of the crew's uh, mentality too of how how they picture that pilot or, or how that pilot is with them and 
you know, is, is, is he putting effort there too? And are we putting effort? So it's, and I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say that that doesn't happen a lot because I, I believe it probably does. Um, but this was by far the most unique, um, super tight, fun, loving and loving and loyal crew, uh, that I've, uh, Helitech crew that I'd, that I've been a part of. So shout out to the Billings Helitech crew and my good buddy, uh, Brandon Spencer, who's the soup there and who brings me down. He's got, uh, he's, he's a native working for the BIA there and, uh, he's got a, he's got a big bright future ahead of him. And so does that pilot. Before you go out on a job, what kinds of things do you think about when you leave your family? Oh man, it's a waterfall, but I have a six-year-old, um, soon to be seven. I've got a baby on the way in November and my wife, uh, yeah, so she's seven months pregnant and so she's a stay-at-home mother. And so it's easy, like I'm the one sitting here getting interviewed for a cool career and she's the one at home in my mind, like not getting any of the I don't want to say publicity, but not getting any of the cool culture love out there as a stay-at-home mom. But I, I, I think about my family all the time, and it sucks to have to be away from them um, for this job. And that's kind of the, we say, you know, sixes or six one way, half a dozen the other, or a double-edged sword. And that's kind of like the opposite side of the spectrum. That's the sucky part is, you know, missing a lot of really cool things and, and missing summer with my family. But my wife's a badass and, and she goes hard every day um, dealing with a, a boy that has dealing with my son who has a lot of my for better and worse traits. Um, and a lot of times, you know, like I'm not there to help her deal with the, the BS or even, you know, like the leaky sink or, uh, you know, the rotor rooter guy needs to come or, uh, the stove isn't where, you know, there's all these like guy things that a dad and a, and a husband, you know, feels obligated to want to take care of and want to do for their family. And I'm gone on the road so long. It's like, you know, being in a band and you're on tour and, you know, I, I don't think of my wife this way at all, but the, the way I think of it in my head, am I being selfish? Like that old Johnny Cash movie, uh, walk hard or walk whatever it was line. called or walk the line walk the line i think uh, dewey cox was walk hard he, yeah he was he, like, <laughs> you don't want none of this dewey um uh so yeah walk the line you know when when he's out on tour and his his wife's just losing it on him my wife doesn't do that at all but i think about internally this is my thoughts not the way she feels at all because once again she's a badass but i i feel like am i you know, what, am I fulfilling, fulfilling my, my duties and, and, and honors of, of what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, I constantly go back and forth of like, yo, I, I, I got to chase the money. It's like being a Alaska commercial fisherman and you got to be out, out for three months, you know, at sea or gone for six months on the slope or whatever it is. And so you're missing out on all this stuff, let alone like picking up your half of, of the work, of the workload and, and yeah, man, it's, it's, it's tough. It, it really is tough. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that go through my mind. Like, man, I hope, I hope something doesn't go bad while I'm gone, or I hope the dog doesn't go missing. We got a Husky and I hope my wife doesn't have to deal with this stress or this stress. And so I just kind of cross my fingers and, and throw my imaginary sage up to the gods, um, hoping nothing goes bad or, and for sure, this is a big thought too, is hoping nothing goes bad with me. 
you know, and leaving them in a spot where they got to come visit me in a hospital or, you know, even worse. So, uh, the, a lot of heavy, a lot of heavy stuff, uh, in answering that question that, that, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, man, I, I'm very, very grateful and thankful to my wife. Um, once again, I, I would love to keep tooting her horn on this, on this podcast, but it'd be a 15 hour deal. And, um, and then all the other wives and moms out there and moms of firefighters that worry their ass off about their kids and their husbands. So yeah, it's, it's, I think for sure we all think about our families that way and, and hate to kiss them on, on the cheek or lips as we walk out the door with, you know, three or four bags in our hands and, you know, not seeing each other for two to two to four weeks or a couple months and stuff. So those are the things that I, that I probably think about the most as I leave. You know, that type of seasonal work that keeps you from your family, I think, is very familiar to Alaskans. And I think it helps us understand that every relationship is so unique and different. Yeah, it. I think it is very Alaskan. Um, you know, I, I, I live around some folks that are fishing guides. Um, this will probably place my location, but a lot of fishing guides here. And, you know, tourist businesses that depend on the seasonal lifestyle. And then a lot of the folks, you know, there's, you could shoot a shotgun from, you know, a distance and, and with every pellet you'd hit, you'd hit a town or a place where there's folks that work up on the North Slope that do that same seasonal lifestyle. And and it's crushing in a lot of ways. And it's also uh, lucrative in a lot of ways. And I think that's why folks do it. But I can't remember your original question other than, how Alaska is, is that way. Yeah. It wasn't really a question. It was just kind of a, kind of a comment that growing up, I had friends as well as my own family. My dad has always had seasonal work for the most part. You know, he is now in this moment, a fishing, hunting and surfing captain outside of Seward, Alaska. So he is gone all summer, a good portion of the hunting season in the winter. Um, he always jokes about how he lives in Seward and my mom lives in Anchorage, you know, so, <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. And, and kudos, by the way, I listened to your episode with you interviewing your dad. That was awesome. Um, your dad sounds like a badass, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's hard. It's, it, man, it, it's not easy. Um, and I think that's, I feel like when I come home, I was telling you, I'm really exhausted uh, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, once again, I'm cutting ties with folks that I've, you know, have poured a ton of energy into and, and, uh, and good vibes into and a lot of myself into. And now I got to come home and do the same thing with my family and almost kind of make some ground up and it's hard. Um, and, you know, it, I, I, I hate even saying this or hearing it you know, when my wife jokes around about it, but, you know, sometimes it, she's doing the single mom thing, you know, and that's uh, for a couple few weeks at a time. And that's a lot like the, you know, folks up here who, uh, have seasonal lifestyles. So yeah, there's, there's supreme highs and supreme lows in, in seasonal work for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, booze that, that does it for my questions. Really? Yeah, that, that's it, man. I mean, <laughs> did you have anything else you wanted to add? <laughs> man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I could, it's, um, it's an easy topic to talk about, especially, um, some of the stuff I really care about, but 
yeah, I, I, I think it's a very positive career. And, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people say this about whatever job they're in. And I think a lot more people don't, but I don't know what else I would do. Um, and, and fire just kind of found me naturally. Uh, and so I'm very grateful, you know, in my life for that. Uh, at the same time, it's caused a lot of headaches. It's, it's, there's a lot of glory. And then there's a lot of, uh, as, as dude Lebowski would say, a lot of strikes and a lot of gutters and, and, um, I'm grateful for it though. It's, 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 it's hardened me. It's also made me softer in other ways and allowed me to mature and grow. But I think, you know, if, if I had to put like my final stamp on any kind of conversation, I, I think the culture that I'm a part of in wildland fire uh, is a very unique and special one. And I mentioned that kind of while we were communicating on Instagram that I've, I've, I've never, and I don't know if I've ever really had another job other than like college BS jobs, but I've never been around a bunch of people that I feel so comfortable about around a bunch of people that make me laugh and that I'm interested in what they have to say and that I understand so deeply and that there's so much loyalty and, and, and so much intellect, which I value very highly. Um, I, I haven't experienced that in any other place or culture or whatever. And it's almost, it's almost bad too, because then I leave, uh, you know, fire folks. Uh, there was a good question on a mental health, health survey, Recently, I took, um, once again, trying to gain some awareness for all this stuff, some grassroots effort put out a mental health survey. And, I, and one of the really stick out questions for me that was uh, that I answered was, do you feel uncomfortable when you're around uh, people who, who are not in fire or have a hard time uh, becoming close or conversing or whatever? And I do uh, have that issue. And I think a lot of us in this business do, because once again, we pour so much of our heart's energy into this job and into each other. Uh, and people are so unique. There's so much individuality and so many, you know, back comparing it a little bit to the military and basic training, when you're bringing all these people in from across the United States and then a couple of other, you know, American colonized territories and bullshit, you have this this very unique culture, but this very unique situation of people with all kinds of different upbringings and, and grow ups and philosophies and re religions and opinions and whatever. I mean, you I could be on a fire and somebody will bring up Trump. I could be on that same fire and, you know, two seconds later, somebody's talking about whoever Biden or whatever the hell. And then, you know, and then even more so there'll be a big group that's in, you know, F all that and F all those people and like, who cares and whatever. And then you've got people that, you know, the seasonal lifestyle really fits them well. And, you know, this, the, uh, the, uh, non parents, uh, and they travel or they have some really neat side gig or whatever and travel the world and have very unique stories and very unique input and philosophies they bring to the table. And I, I think it's, I love that part about it. Cause you, you, you grow so much rather than showing up from the nine to five and there's Bill and there's Karen sitting next to you. And all they did was go home and ate out last night and watched some stupid TV show, reality TV show. And that's what they're talking about today. Or even, you know, talking about football, like you go out in the woods with a bunch of fire dudes, and you're going to hear some and do that. So you're going to hear some real interesting things and, and just like drop your jaw of, of the stories you'll hear or how cool these people are. And you get so attached to that. It's like, uh, I don't know, man, it's, it, it's, it's like 24 seven brushing shoulders with, the world's most interesting people sometimes and and i get high on it man i i'm a big like dale carnegie and um 
Will Rogers and and you know these the 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 idea of the of the other person and and listening and learning and and having that experience with them as they tell that story or whatever mm-hmm. and and um I don't know what other job has that I, and and I don't know what other job is so tough where and this is good and bad where you don't really have problems on the surface uh, you know you, no one's coming to work very often no one's coming to work crying or bitching about whatever it's like we got a job to do and we're all pretty tough minded and hearted uh, to get it done and to get it done together and uh and 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 a lot of humility and building other folks up and not taking credit for you know all the all the good things and i think it's a uh, yeah man it's 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 very unique and and in alaska it's times 10 so i'm super grateful for what i get to do uh even though it's hard For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Thanks to Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives for their support at the company man level. This conversation was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats.